Welcome to Season 5 of the Shock Your Potential Podcast with your host, best-selling author and international speaker, Michael Sherlock. The Shock Your Potential Podcast is dedicated to entrepreneurs looking to up their game, increase their income, and scale their businesses to new heights. Shock Your Potential is a professional services company providing affordable services to small businesses, matching entrepreneurs with virtual assistants, and offering specialized leadership and sales training to companies around the world. Learn more today at shockyourpotential.com and listen in now to another motivating episode that will help you to shock your potential. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Shock Your Potential. I am your host, Michael Sherlock. And all month long, we are talking to some fierce and fabulous entrepreneurs who are also female. And my guest today is going to talk about some different things. And actually, her business, I think, is going to be quite interesting. And I think we're also going to talk about some things that have to do with women in powerful positions, especially in the world of entrepreneurship. And I can't wait to learn from her. Ashley Wilson is a San Francisco-based entrepreneur. She was raised by a used car salesman and an elevator guy. Now, she's uh, not only built and opened and sold multiple small businesses. And she did that, by the way, by the age of 20, until ultimately she decided to land in that elevator business herself. Now, she excelled in that industry, but decided to leave that corporate world behind, as many of us have that are listening today, to build her own ethical path, where she founded her company called AuditMate, which is the first ever elevator and escalator auditing and management software. Now, here's the thing. She's a CEO who gets results without sacrificing human dignity. And I know we're all talking about that. How do we continue to grow and lead people, but do it in a way that feels right and that is right? And in this new vanguard of leadership, if you're not values-based and human-centric in your approach, she says, and I totally agree, no one succeeds. So joining me from San Francisco is Ashley. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you for having me, Michael. I'm so happy to be here. It is great to have you, and I can't wait. We have not had anybody in your particular industry ever on the podcast, ever. So I'm excited to learn a little bit about that background, in, uh, especially in the elevator and escalator business, because it is really intriguing. I actually grew up uh, next door to a gentleman who was a friend of our family who worked for Otis Elevators. So I remember at a young age being really interested in, in that kind of uh, field, because I'd ask him all kinds of questions that I probably had no idea about the answers to, and maybe I didn't even want to know about how elevators work. Uh, I just want to make sure they do when I'm in them. <laughs> But I hit the highlights of your bio. Tell us a little bit more about you, your business, and how you help people, and how you help definitely as a leader to shock people's potential. Yeah! Wow, that was a great a great intro. Thank you so much. Um, where do I even add? Um, I was <laughs> raised in the elevator industry. Yes, definitely an entrepreneur by heart. Like the first time I remember being called the the called an entrepreneur. I had taken a bucket and a, uh, uh, cleaning mop over to the golf course in the neighborhood and was cleaning people's golf clubs. And so I've always had an entrepreneurial spirit, but also my stepdad was in the elevator industry. So I saw sort of both worlds, right? My dad was a door-to-door salesman, sold everything from, you know, vacuums to insurance to cleaning supplies to cars to whatever, you know, just that old school salesman. 
Wow. And then my stepdad in, in the elevator industry. And so I've always had a, a mix of both. I joined after opening and selling a couple of businesses, I joined the elevator industry in my early, early 20s. And I thought that I would truly be the first woman CEO of Schindler Elevator. Like mm. I felt it in every part of my being, like this is what I was meant to do. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't help but realize that people didn't understand their contracts. And the people, the the salespeople didn't understand how to explain to people what they were getting because it didn't make sense. They elevator country contracts are vague and confusing and it's intentional. It's intentional. People don't, people don't know what's really going on. Um, And I couldn't stand by anymore. It didn't feel good. It felt icky in my body. It was like, even if I get to the top, even if I become a CEO in America, then what? That doesn't change the industry. Mm-hmm. And so I left with no idea of what, what was going to happen next. It was kind of one of those throw the arms up in the air and I'm like, I'm out. I don't know what's happening, but I cannot do It's not this. That's all mm-hmm. I know at this point. And Audit Mate was born out of a passion of believing that clients don't need to be elevator experts. They Mm -hmm. just need honest and transparent information. Oh, so true. You're right. Because most of the time they have an elevator in a building. They just want to make sure it works and understand what to do if it doesn't. But they don't want to know why or how it works. And you don't know what you don't know. Exactly. And and so if that information is not being highlighted to you with the path forward or actions to take, it's like, hmm. Let's just keep ignoring it because we don't really know what's going on anyway. And so if there's a problem, let's assume someone's going to let us know. Um, so we created AuditMate that monitors all aspects of clients' elevator service contracts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's, it's easy to think about it like a building management software. Mm-hmm. But the difference is, is we audit on over 200 data points to ensure contract compliance. And we also do financial audits. So all invoices and proposals additionally go through an audit process. So not only, yeah. So not only does the client get to see everything that's going on and everything that should be monitored, it's also audited for accuracy. So the client can very easily make decisions, um, and move on with their day and go back to their real job, which is not managing elevator contracts. Right. Um, so what we do to help people is really just trying to be fair, just mm-hmm. trying it, doing our best to be as honest and transparent as possible. And we're that way internally as well. Our North star and our, our company is be excellent to each other. Mm. And it really guides everything that we do. Mm. So let me ask you this, because I never thought about it, about contracts for elevators. So are there different components? Like, uh, you know, maybe it doesn't include like if there's an emergency shutdown or what if it gets stuck between floors, who's responsible or what happens if you bring in the fire department versus call one of our technicians? You got it. 
Oh my God. All different contract requirements. So, you know, based on times of day, based on emergency, based on the different components. Yes, absolutely. Wow. Okay. Let me ask you another, well, this is an escalator question, but the escalator, cause I mean, I'm assuming you may do similar things. I mean, I, I see like, for instance, our Macy's in Philadelphia, they escalate, you know, it's a four or five story, you know, building just of the floors mm-hmm. of the store. And there's always sections that are out of order. Um, I don't know if people just come in and work there, if they hire people, you know, that work for Macy's that do it all the time, do all these I mean, is there just a lot of ongoing maintenance to make sure both elevators and escalators stay moving and safe? Or, you know, are we to the point where technology today is is better and things can operate longer and easier on their own? So there is a lot of maintenance that should be occurring. Uh-huh. On average, clients are receiving about 50% of what they're paying for, which oh, is boy. a big part of why Automate was founded. Yeah, I get and- it. On the technology question, there is new technology, Internet of Things, that's been installed on elevators and escalators, um, which is being coined as predictive maintenance. Mm -hmm. It's really just quick, reactive maintenance. Mm -hmm. Um, Elevator maintenance, has there hasn't been any technology to reduce most elevator maintenance mostly what the technology is doing is trying to predict when maintenance needs to occur. Hmm. But a lot of elevator maintenance is, is cleaning, cleaning door rollers, cleaning, uh, you know, the mechanical parts. And until Mm -hmm. we have robots that move up and down the hoistways and clean things, um, Mm -hmm. we still need elevator maintenance and Hey, I'm around for it. If an elevator company wants to prove to me that we're, we're doing maintenance with robots, bring it on. (laughs) But until then, we're going to stick to the contract and automate. <laughs> right. I get it. And um, that makes so much sense. So helping, you know, I, I'm just assuming if I'm the, uh, let's say I own a, um, a hotel chain. So I, you know, I purchased, you know, the opposite or franchise. I own a, you know, a franchise of one of, of a Marriott property and, but I'm the owner of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have to have a, an elevator in my building. Um, when I sign that contract, I probably am not going to look at it carefully. I'm going to assume that whoever's bringing in the elevator maintenance contract is going to know what they're doing. And I'm not going to read the 48,000 pages of fine print, but that's where you come in. And that's where people, uh, learn, probably have some big eye opening awareness moments. That's so true. So on top of our software, we also have a product line called safe which is our specifications and field evaluations. So we actually write elevator service contracts for the client because it may come as no surprise to you once I say it, but when an elevator company writes an elevator contract, they write it to protect them, not to protect you. Exactly. So we write elevator contracts to protect the owners and it's the tr- only truly enforceable elevator service contract in the market because if we have a legal term or requirement, we have a data point that we track using technology. So wow. we require the elevator company to provide data in order to enforce the contract. And most right. elevator contracts do not require data transparency and do not require the vendor to provide any sort of um documentation above and beyond code. 
Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. And uh, people listening, this is just one example of another reason that reading contracts is actually really, really critical. And if it's something that's really important for your business, getting some outside help to look at it, especially where there's specialists, probably going to be money well spent. Yeah, absolutely. And and another point is if something's confusing to you, it's probably confusing to someone else, right? (laughs) And so- People look at me and they're like, wow, that's such a great idea for AuditMate. And I'm like, we should have AuditMate for legal services. We should have AuditMate for leases. Like if you're a subject matter expert in something, especially if you're in corporate and you know something is confusing for AuditMate, there's probably a business idea there. (laughs) Right, right. Absolutely. I love it. Well, and you know, um, one thing I, before we get to break, and I know we're going to talk about some other things after break, but right before we started taping, we were also talking about um, kind of some evolution and some of the, the gains that you get from having, you know, these uh, conversations on, on podcasts, because not everybody listening is going to say, Hey, I need that. Cause I've got, you know, an elevator that I'm responsible for, but you really actually have kind of a greater calling for getting out there and getting your message heard and, and networking with people. And that's also to remind us that, you know, women can have powerful positions. And, you know, like you said it in the beginning, I really believed I was going to be CEO of, you know, of, of an elevator company. Um, but you were talking about things like funding and support. And can you talk a little bit about that? Cause I think that's an incredible topic, especially for this month's series. Yeah, it's, it's so important to me that we discuss networking as women in business, that we discuss funding, um, access to funding as, as women and any, any minority group, right. Anybody that's not in the old boys club, I'm, I'm referring to basically anyone that's not affluent white or male. Let's, let's be honest. We should be having these conversations Mm -hmm. because it's the, the resources are there. It's just difficult to uncover them and the awareness to the resources is is not there. Um mm-hmm. here in San Francisco, I joined a group called Start Out um, that has an incubator program called Growth Lab. And it's the largest LGBT networking entrepreneurs group in the US. Without Start Out, I wouldn't have known what a convertible note was versus what a safe was. I wouldn't have known how to talk VC language, right? I have a master's degree and was so extremely overwhelmed by all of these different terms and funding and VC and what it all meant. It made me feel, I mean, dumb, right? Like I was like, wait, does everybody know this stuff? And I don't know it. Am I the only one that doesn't understand and everybody's using all these acronyms and where are they finding money and come to find out nobody knows what they're doing. Like that's the big secret. Nobody knows what they're doing. And, and until we're, we have these conversations that it's like, Hey, valuations are made up. What's more important is that, you know, the math behind your valuation and that (laughs) you can, you can prove you know what you're talking about in your confidence level yeah, <laughs> and, and in the logic and how you get there. And that all comes from, from these sorts of conversations. 
Yeah, I agree. Well, and just as you were talking, so many things that you hit on there. And number one, I love the line, the valuations are made up because you're absolutely right. Number two, you you said it again without saying it the same way that if it's confusing to you, it's probably and definitely confusing to someone else, whether it's the contract or it's understanding this process. But to your point, um, two, well, a little more than two years ago, a client of mine was uh, who is in the tech space um, uh, was going for funding. And so I went with him to present to uh, a group of angel investors in mm-hmm. San Francisco. And then we went to LA and uh, uh, presented to some venture capitalists. And I'll tell you, that was the most eye-opening experience because I got to sit and watch about 30 different uh, tech companies, everything from uh, like home security to gaming, you know, like, uh, you know, the newest version of kind of a Tetris kind of thing. And I got to listen to their pitches, listen to the questions that were asked. I got to, you know, network with um, these VCs and, and angel investors. And it was it was phenomenal. I feel so fortunate to have been in the room, but it is, unless you've been invited into the room or know how to get into it, that it is a really daunting task. I can't even imagine if I was trying to do it for my own business uh, without any of that background or support. Absolutely. And you get those meetings because Mm. of network. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And it's so hard that if you don't have the network, to get even into the room because those VCs will get pitches after pitches after pitches after oh, yeah. pitches, right? And so yep. the personal ones are the ones that that actually get the meeting. And and then there's this um I don't know, air of that the VC knows more than you do, oh, or yeah. the VC knows if your business will be more successful than you know. Mm-hmm. And it can be so intimidating. But at the end of the day, the confidence in how they ask questions and how you respond, yeah, it's more about how you respond and not what you say, right? <laughs> which is which is kind of mind blowing, right? Yeah. It's like, yes. you know, tell me why your business will be successful. Tell me why, you know, you're another marketing firm and thousands of marketing firms. What makes you different? Right. You are what makes you different. And so if you can't convince them. Yeah. If you haven't convinced yourself first, boom, if you can't convince them (laughs) and how you get prepped for those things are really important. Um, What was really interesting too, is my, um, I I had no idea what to expect. And this was a very, uh, um, a very niche uh, type Mm -hmm. of group. So they Mm -hmm. were very specific people looking for very specific things and very specific industries. And so it was really, really niche several times down. But what I I thought was interesting is my client had worked with somebody to prep him for the pitch and his pitch didn't go over very well. And Mm -hmm. we had six pitch opportunities in those two days. And afterward he goes, I need you to pitch for me next. And I'm like, wait, what? So in 30, 25 minutes or so, I read his notes. I took, I skimmed, I went for, you know, what was, I took out the stories of, you know, everything and I just went for it. And, uh, and it was really interesting because when people would ask questions and I would, I would uh, lead them back to the CEO, but I'd say, that's a great question, which, you know, when you just say that, it gives you time to let your brain go, huh? 
How do I want to answer this? And Mm -hmm. I'd say, that's a great question. And I know the CEO is going to answer that in relation to, so I was kind of setting him (laughs) up so that he'd go, oh yeah, maybe I should talk about this. Because it in the moment when somebody says to you, what makes you different than for what you're doing? It's that's a daunting moment that you have to have confidence. You have to know what to say. You need to have prepped for it. And you need to know what's going to put them on the hook so you can reel them in a little bit more, have it be interesting enough bait there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I'm also a firm believer in owning my I don't knows. Mm -hmm. Yes. And not glossing over them when I'm not sure. Yeah. I would far rather if someone asks a question that I don't know the answer to ask a follow-up question. I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about <laughs> or right. say, I don't have that information on me. Let me get back to you. Yes. Yeah. I love that line. I own my, I don't knows. And that's really important because you don't want to just fly from the cuff and it, and it is okay to say, I'm sorry, I'm not quite sure what you're asking. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> which yeah. is a really nice way of saying you're not making any sense to me. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And that's, that's great. I love that. I think that's fantastic. Ashley, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to hear from our sponsor. And when we come back, we're going to dive down to some more lessons that you've learned on your entrepreneurial journey. We will be right back. Are you a highly sensitive individual? If you are, you are part of the 20% of people whose nervous system is wired to take in more stimulation than others. This can feel overwhelming, trying to get by through coping and stuck in your shadows instead of your strengths. But it doesn't need to be that way. You can learn to be in charge of yourself physically, spiritually, and financially in a way that honors your highly sensitive self. Heather Dominic is the founder of businessmiracles.com, and she's been training highly sensitive entrepreneurs and leaders since 2010 to do things differently by working less and making more of a social impact and a higher income. Whether you've been in business for years or are just starting out, highly sensitive entrepreneurs are sick of trying to, usually secretly, manage overwhelm and other ways your highly sensitive nervous system tends to hijack and work against you. Now you're ready to learn how to be comfortable in your highly sensitive skin, to create your work and life to match who you truly are so you can work less while making more impact and income. I should know, as a super uber highly sensitive entrepreneur myself, working with Heather and her team has changed my life and my businesses. To learn more, please use our affiliate link in the show notes or reach out to the Business Miracles team and tell them you heard about them from the Shock Your Potential podcast. Every listener who joins the Business Miracles program in 2022 will receive a selection of five best-selling books from our Shock Your Potential bookstore authors. Leading as a highly sensitive entrepreneur is a mindset to hold and an energy to embody. To lead means to show someone the way to be in charge of. As a highly sensitive entrepreneur, this starts with learning how to be in charge of yourself first and your purpose second. And we are back. Um, Ashley, this, I loved our talk right before the break for many, many reasons. I love what you've done with your business because uh, a couple of reasons. Number one, you took a position where maybe you weren't 
completely happy with maybe the industry, some of the elements, but you said, I'm going to walk away and I'm going to do something that feels right. So you started a company that not only felt right in what you were doing, but really was doing good like that. It does the world good to have transparent contracts and to have things that, that are make good financial sense for people as well. Um, I also love the fact that, you know, you're very realistic about, we only know what we know, so we've got to learn more and we got to help each other. Right. But as an entrepreneur, and you have had a really interesting entrepreneurial journey, especially from, you know, uh, you know, going to watch golf clubs to uh, mm-hmm. starting a couple of businesses in your, before you're 20 and then making this happen. What, what have you learned? What's been, what, what have been some of the biggest lessons you've learned on your entrepreneurial journey that either you learned and said, Hey, I learned that the hard way, you know, and I got to let it go. Or I've learned that. And that was my secret strength. I've, I've turned that into my secret sauce. Um, just anything that, you know, keeps you going, especially on the days when an entrepreneurial journey is not all that easy to navigate. Hmm. So many things. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like, like the never stop learning for sure. It's, you know, especially as you're growing into being an entrepreneur, there's a lot of learning and there's a lot of unlearning. Mm -hmm. A lot of the corporate stuff that, that, and societal norms and understanding, we really got to unlearn, right? What it means to be a woman in business and what it means to be a leader and unpacking some of that. What's the difference between being assertive and, and being called the B word and, and what's the difference between, you know, how we're looked at in one way or another, and then getting to a place to really own who you are Mm -hmm. and who you are as a leader. But that doesn't mean we stop to take feedback. Because we gotta keep taking feedback. Right. Um, I think the biggest learning, which I kind of touched on earlier, is nobody knows what they're doing. <laughs> and that's given me a lot of solace in mm. the times that it's like, I don't know what's going on. I don't feel like a good boss. I don't feel like a good entrepreneur. I don't know what the heck the next step is. Owning the, I don't know. I mean, I think you can catch a trend in in how I operate here and being like, I'm going to take a pause because I only know once I know, and I'm not there yet. Yeah. I'm still confused. So (laughs) something's not in place and giving myself that time of knowing that I don't know the answer and trusting that when I have a yes, it's a full body yes. And yeah. so if my full body yes is not there, I'm not there yet. Yeah. And it's okay to ask for time or for space or for ask for an extension or whatever whatever the case may be. Um, yeah. And a big solid other learning is... And I think it's a there, there's a Brene Brown quote that goes along with it, who I'm also obsessed with, side note. But <laughs> it's something like, this journey is no one but your own, but we never go alone or we never get there alone or something right. along those lines. And it's like right. owning that this journey is mine, but mm-hmm. I can never get AuditMate to the place that I want AuditMate to get to by myself. And right. so- learning to become a leader and not a boss 
and learning how to get others just as invested in your vision as you are, that's sales pitch number one. Forget the funding. (laughs) You got to get people on board. Yeah, I agree so much. And, you know, as you were talking too about, you know, learning and unlearning and the things that in corporate don't always apply. In fact, many times don't apply in entrepreneurship. And I I had a big aha moment yesterday. I've been really tired the last couple of weeks. And part of that is the season and it's dark. Uh, My husband had a fall and he cracked some ribs. So I've been doing a lot of extra taking care of him. So I'm tired. And Mm -hmm. yesterday I was sitting at my desk and I didn't have anything else on the agenda. And I was so tired. And I thought, if only I could take a nap. And then I went, well, go take a nap. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Heard my French, but come on, Sherlock, don't be a dumbass. Like go yeah. take a nap. You, right. you can do that. And it doesn't mean that you have to sit at your desk, you know, from eight to five, like you did mm-hmm. once upon a time and be miserable. If your right. body, your life, your mind to your, your point is telling you there's something that's not right, then listen to what's not right. And then wait until it's right or keep working toward until it's right. And it was so funny because when I got done with that nap, I was like, ah, well, that was smart. (laughs) (laughs) So much more effective for the rest of the day. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But we don't always listen to ourselves and we don't always listen to our bodies, especially women. Yes. Absolutely. But, but isn't that heart-centered leadership? And it's like, I expect my team to take care of themselves, right? Like we, we offer unlimited PTO and we offer Mm -hmm. unlimited PTO because your mental health is your responsibility. And I expect that you will take a break when you need one. And Uh sometimes that needs to get flipped on me. I love that too. Um, I just implemented that as well with my team for this year is, you know, we actually are doing four um, company shutdowns. So mm-hmm. one week at Christmas. So between Christmas and New Year's, one one week in July around the fourth, and then two long weekends in the spring and the fall, because my team and my team's all virtual and they're all uh, in Kenya. They won't take they don't take time off when they need to. And so then I said, we're going to have, you know, take PTO when you need it. If we can plan ahead, then let's plan ahead and work ahead. If it has happens because we need it, then let's, you know, make sure we're working to get caught up as quickly as we can. But let's let's make sure we take care of ourselves. But I love your line. I'm going to put that in in our agreements that your mental health is your responsibility, but we want to support it exactly. and support it by making sure that you know it's a priority for you and it's a priority for us. And that's yeah. that's really important. And I think that we're moving in. I'm kind of excited about where we're moving in the world today yeah, with more people working too. remotely and globally hybrid, because I think we now accept more of understand we need to take care of the whole person because then it gets back to exactly what you just said. If you get people with the right commitment to your company and what you're trying to achieve and you give them the right environment to thrive, we'll have some great output. I think we're, we're into a whole new uh, golden era if we're really paying attention. I couldn't agree more. I love it. Well, Ashley, we are going to um, have all of your contact information on our show notes, but just in case somebody wants to look you up right now, because they're like, I think I want to know more about what this woman's got going on. What's the best way for them to reach you? The best way to reach me is on LinkedIn. Honestly, that's where I'm most active. So at Ashley Wilson 
we also have a LinkedIn for AuditMate. Uh, AuditMate. I think just AuditMate. I don't think it's AuditMate US. On Twitter, we're AuditMate underscore US. Okay, excellent. And before we go, do you have any last words of wisdom or pearls of advice for my listeners and viewers? It's going to be scary and do it anyway. Ah. And that that little voice that, you know, I kind of, mine kind of lives behind, but right in, right in my rib cage, but that little voice that comes up that, that, you know, is the right answer. I promise is the right answer. And the more you start listening to her, mine's her. I don't know what yours is. Mine's her. The more I start listening to her, the more the magic happens. I love it. Excellent. Ashley, thank you so much for being our guest today. It's been an absolute pleasure having you with us. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Shock Your Potential podcast. Learn more about us today at shockyourpotential.com, including details on Michael's two best-selling books. Tell me more, how to ask the right questions and get the most out of your employees, and sales mixology, why the most potent sales and customer experiences follow a recipe for success. And as always, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and like us today.